All right, let's do it. Making plans with the boys. I'm going to hit the town. Yeah, I'm going to make some noise. I push past the pain. And my wounded pride. I'm going to live it up. Yeah, stay here all night. But sure, I've had some better times. And I can't count all the tears I've cried. Welcome to the Gen X Talks Podcast. I'm here we were with, done with all these. Well, I'm here with Gen X Dad, a oh, reluctant good. participant. <laughs> Today yep. he's sitting, taking a, I guess you could say a back seat and a front seat at the same time. He's being the center of the show, but not knowing what's going on. <laughs> I get a back seat and a front seat? Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Usually Gen X Mom is the interviewer, but yes. I will be interviewing you today. I'm sorry you don't get the stunning good looks of Gen X Mom. No. But, um... Gotta look at your ugly mug. All of these questions are related to automotive. Why are we here? What is, what is the point of this? Well, it's one of life's great mysteries. No, no, don't. <laughs> you can not. Why are we here on this planet or this box canyon? I'm asking you. Why are we sitting at the table? To interview. I'm going to interview you. To all right. Podcast. Okay. So, um, all these are automotive questions. You said there was just going to be one question. <laughs> uh, one question with. A lot of parts. Oh, so, Christ's sake. Uh, all right. I'm ready. Okay. All automotive questions, all about your career. So okay. I'm hoping you can answer all uh, these correctly. It's all going to be a lie. Go ahead. Um, how old were you when you started tinkering with cars, you know? And, uh, yeah, when you started tinkering with cars, like when you started to get interested in it, how old were you? Well, uh, if you listen to your grandmother talk, I started taking things apart when I was five, six, seven, eight. I would take broken toys and she'd have clocks that were you know broken clocks and stuff so mechanically i was trying to figure stuff out even if all i was doing was taking it apart and throwing it away was um i was real little i think the first time i remember doing anything specifically on a car probably watching grandpa yeah well your your great grandfather Mm -hmm. my grandfather um, just tinkering on stuff. He had an old VW Baja bug and he had a, uh, like, I think it was a 70, uh, Chevy Nova just doing stuff around, you know, when you're watching him change a tire, watching mm-hmm. him change oil. I bet that's, a, that's when I first got my interest in, Hey, uh, there's big things to take apart outside. <laughs> yeah. No more clocks and toys. What's going on out here? Oh, you got real tools uh, in the garage. <laughs> um, follow up question. What was the first car you ever worked on? Hmm. That's tough. Would um, you say it's that same? 70? Probably that. Probably actually learning how to do something like when you're actually you're when you're tightening up the clamp yourself mm-hmm. on a hose, or you're tightening a bolt yourself um, on something. I, I'm gonna say probably following your great grandfather around doing that. Maybe that same time and that same stuff. Okay. Um, so I was probably in the nine and ten year old range in there. Yeah, I was about to say, you never said an age. You know, yeah, I was going to say, like... I started screwing around with that stuff at six and seven years old when I was doing my thing, and then probably helping him, probably nine, ten years old. Um, I heard a story about a cross-country trip where you drove, where you drove and were a mechanic on site with uh, <laughs> my great-grandpa yeah, that's, and grandma. That's loose terminology, mechanic on site, no. Uh, well, at, at, I think I was 17. Um your great grandfather had already had a stroke, and 
by that he wasn't completely debilitated. He could walk, but he was his left arm was paralyzed. He was still sharp. He could still talk. He could still tell stories. I mean, the man, you know, he had his wits about him completely. And he wanted to go on a big, long trip across the country in their motorhome. And they had an old Travette motorhome. And not one person listening is going to know what a Travette motorhome is. But essentially, it had a truck front end. A, not, a, not a van front end like you see on the Class C motorhomes now. This was a real truck front end. And it was mm-hmm. a big old root beer brown looking Dodge front end with this big motorhome built on the back of it. And had a big 400 engine in it. And he wanted to drive this thing. He kept it in immaculate condition. And he wanted to drive this thing across the country. Well, my grandmother could drive it um, very well, even though they were on in their years some. Um, But he wanted me to go. So I was 17 or so. And so I quit whatever I was doing at the time and and drove them. And I remember packing up a couple toolboxes full of tools. Because by then, you figured if I started tearing stuff apart at 9, I was yeah. really good at tearing stuff apart at 17. Not so good at putting it back together. <laughs> Maybe but not. And you could so tear when that you, thing down. When you said I was a mechanic on site, that's a very loose description of what I was doing. Um, yes, we went across the United States where I was... Uh, in charge of helping keeping things running, yes. Mm-hmm. Another story I heard about was when you were stuck at Grant High School. How does that tie into your career? Um, well, probably a couple years before I took off uh, with Grandma and Grandpa on that uh, cross-country thing, um, there was a, a we'll, we'll call him a man in a black robe in a courtroom and gave me three choices to do some stuff. One of them was to, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Just, you know, um, I, I said a man in a robe in a courtroom. That's all I'm talking. One of the three choices he gave me was to attend, and I had to go every single day for the entire summer, a, uh, a qualified course at a registered mm-hmm. school. One of them at Grant High School in the San Fernando Valley was, um, was a mechanics course. And so there was a basics me- basic mechanics course that I could go to and um, and learn and do things for that summer. But it was mandatory. You couldn't miss it. Mm-hmm. So I burned up a whole summer doing that. You burned up a whole summer? Did it really get burned <laughs> up, or did you actually enjoy it? Uh, the course actually turned out to be pretty good. The guy was a – the first teacher that was – for the first half of it was was pretty knowledgeable, but kind of an ass. Um, he left us in the middle of the course and went to uh, went to work for Mercedes. And we're like, uh, you're just going to leave? He's like, yep, got a job offer, and I'm out of here. And then the second guy they brought in was more of a down-home country type guy who really taught you the nuts and bolts and basics of just how things work. A lot of that I already knew, but there was some I didn't. So it was a good, it was a good course. But, I mean, burned up the summer. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't, I couldn't leave. Yeah, and um, that actually kind of sucks. It's like summer school, but it's not helping you graduate. Yeah. It's... It's a, it's just a mandatory class. You got to be there. You can't not be there. Like you already knew most of it, didn't you? There was a lot I did, but I remember, I remember picking up some stuff there. In fact, the, you know, the one automotive book that I have in the house that I passed around to all your brothers Mm -hmm. and uh, your sister's boyfriends, that, that book was never returned to Grant High School. If you open up that book right now, it says property of U.S. Grant High School. I wonder what the late fee is on that thing. (laughs) It's got to be $18,000. We will take your house instead. (laughs) I'll just give them you. You got to be worth Uh, a little bit. I'm not that much. No, not that much. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah, that's where that book is from. I was so impressed with the book 
And what I did learn that I I, I uh, accidentally kept it, so I still That's have it. A, what's the most valuable thing you own? Oh yeah, that book over there. It's, about, <laughs> it's an automotive book yeah, from about thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, from the. It's only worth that much because of what I owe. Um, how did you feel when they took took away classes that focused on trades out of high school? Um, you know, I you got to remember they started doing that right as I was mm-hmm. leaving high school in the late eighties, and. I kind of picked, you know, you're not really, you don't pay as much attention to high school after you're out of high school. Mm-hmm. But I remember looking back at some of the, you know, some of the friends I had or some of the teachers you go and visit and talk to a little bit. And I was in awe. And that was a statewide thing. It was here in California. And I'm, I'm guessing it was everywhere. But they, it was a big push in the 90s that we don't need mechanics. We don't need wood shop. We don't need metal shop. Um, and it was, we are going to need technology. We are going to need, mm-hmm. people need to have diplomas in college and degrees. We don't need, you know, to be pushing these mm-hmm. classes anymore with automotive or anything else. I, you know, being still young and stupid just out of high school, I didn't think it was a good thing, but I really didn't have a grasp on what a bad idea that these people in charge of our school systems all over the country, what they were coming up with. Just the most, now that I look back, now that I'm older, those people are a bunch of idiots. Yeah. Completely. Uh, well, it is making a comeback as of late. Oh, yeah? Now there's ag mechanics, but you also have to think my school district is, and I'm assuming other school districts across the state, are doing um, ROC and ROTC, which is like you take three electives yeah. out of your schedule and you go over to this building and they teach you like how to be a teacher, how to do mechanics, how to do... really graphic design like a specific a career choice like there's a med one yeah that's good i mean i'm glad to hear they're doing some hands-on thing i think somewhere around the mid-2000s a bunch of rich people said oh shit we actually need a plumber (laughs) we don't Mm -hmm. we don't have a plumber we actually need a mechanic we don't have a mechanic because there's not as many people in the fields (laughs) they're like oh shit what have we done yeah dumbass you're gonna have to go out and do this shit yourself (laughs) okay um what event or what? at what time, at what age, did you realize you wanted to be a mechanic for your career? Oh, I didn't. I never, I didn't really ever know that. I remember, I remember uh, a lunchtime. I was probably, I don't know. I don't even know how old I was. I've been, I'd been doing that a while for a number of years. What I, just so you know, what I did was I would, I went to work for an RV dealership. And then I learned a lot. Of, I got certified in air conditioning and heating and plumbing and their electrical, their their Riva certifications, as it was called. But you learn a lot about refrigerators. You learn a lot about how stoves work. You learn a lot about um, plumbing and stuff. And then I went back and worked on cars. Would go to a dealership or a garage, and six or ten months, I'd get bored and I'd go find another RV dealership. And you got to remember, when I was younger, I'd move towns every year or two. Mm-hmm. I'd want to pack up and leave. I want a new town. I want to go to a new place, make new friends, start over. That was just my thing. But I remember one time, all of a sudden, I'm, I guess I was probably in my mid or late 20s, and I thought, Jesus, I better, I better figure out what I got to do for a career. I, gotta, and I, I remember you know, when you, when you have questions like that, you, you call your wife and go, hey, I'm a little worried about my life here. I'm, I'm getting on in my years. What do I do for a career? And, and getting the words back where you're doing it, stupid. It's like, what do you mean I'm doing it? Well, you—it's okay. I, you're doing it. I can be a mechanic. That—that that can be okay. That can be a career. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh well, shit. I'm already doing it. Great. <laughs> then I didn't feel bad because I remember thinking I got to get on with my life here. Yeah, I was like, if I had to guess 
what was going to happen. I thought you were going to explain it like, you know, I was like, okay, mechanic, that'll be, a, that'll be my side job as I focus <laughs> on doing something else. And then you never did no, the something I just, else. Uh, I was uh, pretty good. At, I wasn't, I'm not good at a lot of things in life, but uh, working on cars, I was always pretty good at it. And um, I adapted to it pretty well. I remember, um, God, I was, I was 20, maybe 21, maybe it was just 21. And uh, I went to work work for a Mazda dealership. They were a Mazda, Subaru, Isuzu. It was an import dealer, and it was over in Victorville. And I, you know, didn't spend a lot of time over there, but I got a job there. And uh, I went to a Mazda intro school and took all their classes right up front. At 21, I was I really adapted. Computers were just a new thing on cars. Mm-hmm. They've been, you know, they had not been. They still weren't very good at it, you know, in those yeah. years. In the in the mid to late '80s, they had so many computer problems with cars. I can't even tell you because they didn't know how to make computers right. Everything was failing, sensors and ground wires. It was just a big mess. And by the '90s, things were getting a little bit more refined, and they were still using carburetors on a lot of them. And there was a lot of electrical troubleshooting issues that went along with all the mechanical stuff. And I found myself the hotshot. I got really good at it really fast. I was really young. I was really cocky. I was really arrogant, as some of you might have guessed. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I found myself kind of at the cutting edge of technology back then, which, you know, now you look at it and it's mm-hmm. child's play. But back then it was really something new. I remember I went to Las Vegas to look for a job, just changing towns, and I went into Jim Marsh Mazda. And I, I, I went up there on a weekend to spend the night, grabbed the newspaper, looked for the ads, and one of them was for Mazda. So I went first thing on Monday morning, and I sat down, or I went in to sit down in the room with the application, and there was 40 chairs around the outside of this room lining the walls, all full of mechanics, all filling in applications. So I, I walked up to the window, and I, the, the service secretary who was there, the dispatcher who was there, I said, hey, is that, is that Mazda job still, still available? And she said, yeah, we haven't filled the position yet. I said, oh, good. I'll take it. <laughs> and, she okay. goes, and she goes, what? And I, I could see 30 people behind me raise their heads like, what do you mean you'll take it? You haven't even turned in your application yet. So I just asked if I could see the service manager. And um, at the time, there was no, there was no internet. Mm-hmm. You, couldn't, um, you couldn't look anything up online. But they could call into... Mazda could call into headquarters. The fact the dealerships could call into the factory, and they could give them my social security number. Well, once the guy saw all the certificates I had and knew the dealerships that I had worked at, he hired me. Mm-hmm. I walked back out of the room of forty guys, and as I walked through, I told the secretary, "I'll see you Monday." I looked over at the guys and said, "You guys can stop filling out those forms now." <laughs> I walked out. Oh I told you I was an arrogant asshole yeah. back then. I was not a good person. And I walked out. I got the job. And yeah, I moved to Vegas and, and started there. Man, if your younger self saw you now, he'd be like, what happened? Why, what happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my younger self would be very disappointed looking at me now. Like, what he'd did you like, do? Well, what we were doing so good back in the see, day. Now you're just talking into a <laughs> microphone about what I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd look at my younger self right now and go, hey, man, I'm talking about all the cool stuff you're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's uh, there's part of it right yeah. there. What was your... This is backtracking from yeah. your last story. Um, what was your first paid job as a mechanic? And I have some follow-up uh, questions. Uh, that's funny. Um, I was I'd worked at a janitor for a lot of years at Grace Community Church. Mechanic? 
No, it was a janitor. I said a janitor mechanic. You clean the toilets <laughs> of RVs. Uh, no, I did not. It was uh, it was a janitor there for a lot of years, or custodian, whatever you want to call him. And um, I'd still you know been working on a lot of cars for people and friends and stuff like that and family. And I remember I applied for a job at AAA Automotive, which was almost on the corner of Woodman and Satikoy. There used to be a little tossed, tasty freeze, a foster freeze there, which everyone had the little football, or the baseball helmets. They used to sell you um, ice cream in a in a Major League Baseball. Oh, I the little helmets. Yeah, I know which one that is. I think it's oh, I know what you're talking about. Tasty though. freeze or yeah, foster freeze, I one of the two. Tasty freeze. Anyway, right behind that was a long row of industrial um, buildings, kind of in mm-hmm. behind it, and there was AAA Automotive there. And I remember going in, I turned in the application, and I went in, and there was this—I mean, this was an old independent shop, and there was this this old beat up desk. Uh, and, and I'm going to say there was this old Mexican guy behind it. Now I, I'm calling him old because at the time I thought he was old. He's probably 45, you know. <laughs> but when you know when you're when you're 17, everybody older than me is an old man. Everybody younger. Yeah, than me is that's a kid. right. So I remember thinking, ah, look at this old guy. And his name was Ray Trevino, like the golfer kind of. Um, and he uh, he sat back in this chair and he looked at me. He had a big old mustache. He put his foot up on the desk. He says, "Oh, you want to be a mechanic, huh?" I'm like, yeah, I'm being a king. He says, you want to you wanna work on cars? I was like, yeah, I can work on cars. He had a thick, thick Mexican yeah. accent. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, I can. come on, man. He goes, all right, you show up Monday. So Monday, I parked my car in the parking lot. I got, in the, fast. got in the trunk, picked up both of my toolboxes, one in each hand, the little craftsman toolboxes that look like you got a, a bait and tackle box. <laughs> and I, I walked in. I didn't even get halfway down the driveway. He goes, hey. You just put those back in the trunk of your car, eh? You're not ready to use those. And I was like, well, I'm a mechanic. I need tools. That guy had me cleaning bathrooms and sweeping floors and mopping floors. I painted equipment. I painted floor jacks and jack stands. And uh, <laughs> that guy, uh, he had me doing everything for, for a month or so. That's all I did was clean up after everybody, wipe the other mechanics' tools down, and stack mm-hmm. them so they could put them away. Uh, yeah. In retrospect, looking back, that man, not only was he a very kind man, and he was a very nice man, he was very fair, mm-hmm. fair to his customers, had a loyal following, but he knew exactly what I needed. I needed to be told, shut up, put your tools back. You know, you work around the shop where you learn where everything is. You clean up, you roll up hoses. Mm-hmm. And I did for a long time before I could even start turning a wrench and changing oil. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I started. That was my first paid job, AAA and Automotive. You did tell me who your boss was. I did, guy. yeah. Ray Trevino? I think his name was Ray Trevino, if I remember. And yeah. Did you get any uh, certifications at that place? No, not one. I didn't. never went to school, never took a test. You weren't bona fide. I was not a bona fide. No, I was not bona fide. Um, it was a tough, tough beginning. Not, not easy. So you have worked at dealerships? Yes. How many have you worked at? How many oh. different dealerships? I don't know. Um, boom, 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 probably nine or eleven somewhere. Wow. There. Okay. I moved on a lot. I did not yeah. like staying in one place. Yeah. What was the best dealership and why? The best dealership? Yeah. Not independent garages. Yes, dealership. Okay. The best dealership. Um, I would have to guess 
in Vegas. Um, I left Jim Marsh Mazda and I went to Freeway Mazda, which isn't even there anymore. In fact, I don't think the buildings are there anymore. Uh, it was just down from Palace Station. There used to be a Lexus dealer and a Mazda dealer and a and a Scandia golf course was right there. I think hey. all those are gone. And I worked. I, I got I, I got fired from Jim Marsh Mazda. The, guy, the fire service manager fired me. Says you don't fit in. That was his reason. I went. What do you mean you don't fit in? Now I learned later that he was hiring his nephew or somebody. So mm-hmm. I was the newest one there. So he got rid of me. But I went over. I went over to um, Freeway Mazda. The owner at the time was Pat Laverty. Nice man. Wonderful man to work for. And uh, we just had such a crew there, and it was so much fun um, working on. We were working on all the Mazdas, and of course, Mazda was married to Ford at the time. A lot of the Mazda cars were really Ford trucks, and, and you know, you, some of the Ford cars were, you know, Mazda cars. There was a crossover there for a while, so we did a lot of Ford work, and we did a lot of Mazda work, and it was just a great place. We had a lot of good people. We had a lot of fun there. Got a lot done. Made a, made a good amount of money. And uh, you're in Vegas, so you can go at lunchtime and um, go cash your checks and get a free free lunch. Yeah. Go lose it all? Well, I didn't. I wasn't a gambler. I'm still not a gambler. And I don't mean I'm not a good gambler. I'm not either gambler. I don't. So we w- when you get paid every Friday at, at the dealership, you take your check, and we'd all grab a van off the car lot, and we'd drive down to, like I said, Palace Station was just down the street. And they knew us there, so they'd comp us. We'd get a free lunch, and they'd give you, they'd cash your paycheck, and they'd give you like a $25 gaming chip. Mm-hmm. And that would encourage you to come down there to cash your check. So we would, and I would pay my $25, and I'd lose it, or sometimes I'd run it up to 40 or 50 bucks, and I'd cash out. I'd grab my free hamburger, and we'd go back. But I'm telling you, we did that every Friday. And one Friday a month, because we didn't always go. There's, you know, there's there's parts guys and and, and mechanics, mm-hmm. and there's lot guys and and there's salesmen. So with probably like seven, eight, or nine of us, but there was fifty or sixty to choose from. So it wasn't always the same same group in the van going to lunch every Friday. Mm-hmm. One time a month, sometimes twice a month. I'm not kidding you. We were leaving, coming back to the dealership, and there's some dude in there crying, a grown man, bawling his eyes out because at lunch he lost his whole paycheck. In an hour, it was gone. And at first, I was like, "Oh yeah, well here, let me let me give you hundred bucks and help you out. Let me, you know, I know." And then as a different guy, I said, all right, let me help you. Finally, the other dudes came up to me and said, "Don't feel sorry for these assholes. They do this every paycheck. Don't give them money. You're never going to get it back. You're feeding their problem. You're not helping them. Just look out the window and mm-hmm. and ride back to the dealership." And I had to. You you had to learn that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a that was a great place to work, except for that part was yeah. a little tough to watch. What was the worst dealership you ever worked at? The worst dealership. Um, well, that'd be a tough one. I don't know. There, dealerships are tough to work at because the owner of the dealership always rearranges pay scales to make it harder for you to make money. That's like a famous thing. I'm sure it's everywhere. I, I think every place I've ever worked or every place I've ever even heard of working, when they when they call you all together and say, hey, this is some good news here. Mm-hmm. We're restructuring how everybody gets paid. I guarantee it's not for me. Yeah. It's not, I guarantee nobody's paycheck went up. 
<laughs> the only people who get paid more is me. Yeah. And everybody uh, else it, can suck it. So that's always a tough one to do. Um, it, it basically comes down to cars are cars, uh, mechanics are mechanics. It comes down to your service manager. Uh, if you have a good service manager, that makes all the difference in the world. If you if your if your service department is tense and everybody's having a hard time and they can't breathe, it's the manager. He's mm-hmm. he's just like a baseball manager. He has to keep that locker room fresh and flowing. When you don't, it makes it miserable for everybody. Okay. Well, I gotta pick up the. <laughs> you have rest notes. My, rest of my paper. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Can you tell me? Oh. What? Can you tell me about your time at the Mazda dealership? The Mazda dealership in Vegas was good. I just you're gonna read the question yeah. I just answered you. Yeah, exactly. Wow, you're like, good wow, at your job. I know. Did you get any certifications at that place at the Mazda dealership? Yeah, when I started working at the dealerships, um, I started getting certified in all the classes in Mazda. I started getting, I got well different dealerships, Ford certified, mm-hmm. um, Dodge certified. Um, I started going to special classes. I got most of my ASCs, which is a big thing when you're a mechanic, is automotive service excellent. I never got all of them, so I was never master certified because you have to get all your testing done. There's just some tests I didn't take. Um, but I got all the ones that I was interested in, the ones that I needed to, to get a job or keep a job, and, and I got those. So they, I, have a, I have a lot of cert- certificates but and a lot of independent classes. I went down to Honda for three days. I went to Hunter alignment school for two weeks there there's a lot of certificates but um i will tell you that it's impressive to have a lot of certificates but it's more impressive to know what you're doing i knew a lot of guys Mm -hmm. who had more certificates than me couldn't fucking fix a little red wagon (laughs) couldn't but i also knew dudes that had no certificates and they were way smarter than me Mm -hmm. i mean it's just it's it's more what you know they're mostly they're partly for show and they're good test takers yeah sometimes you can take a test and pass it but you don't know shit Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot to be said, but yes, I do um, have a lot of certificates. What are your most obscure certifications? <laughs> most obscure certificates? Uh, I don't know that there are. You want to know my most obscure certification? Yeah, what's your most sub- obscure certification? <laughs> I have a communications certificate for Southwest Airlines, and that is a fact. How would you have that? That is a fact. Where did you get that? I got it in my ag communications class because you know it has to partly, yeah. partially be communications. Well, we did online ICEV, and Southwest Airlines had one, and I was like, "Yep, that's <laughs> the one I'm getting." Southwest Airlines communications certificate. I, I wouldn't even know what my most obscure one was. I don't even. I don't know. I'm gonna pass on that. I'm certified in uh, airplane tires. Uh, nope. Only the front one. Yeah, not me. I don't have any. Okay. I'll pass. Um, have you ever owned your own auto repair business? Yes. How many have you owned? Four. Which one was your favorite? Not the first one. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to that because I remember you talking um, about My favorite one? I think that my f- most favorite one was the one that I just recently closed down a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, independent shop, worked on a lot of stuff, but... Um, I had I had the one where I worked on a lot of European cars, and I hated that. Mercedes and BMW, Audi, um, they're just piles of shit. They're not meant to last a long time. I don't care mm-hmm. what you say. They're expensive on parts. They're hard to work on, expensive on repairs. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. And all for what? So you can have the logo on the front. You want to have that logo, lease one for a couple of years, and turn it back in when the <laughs> lease is over, get another one. 
Um, but a lot of, you know, we did a lot of Toyotas and Hondas and Chevys and Fords and Dodges. That was kind of my wheelhouse. Kind of the mainstream middle class America. That's the customer I liked. Yeah. And that's the, uh, those are the cars I liked. They were, you know, they're more complicated now, of course, but they're by far the best ones to work on. So the last repair shop for the last 10 years, I like, I like that one the best. And, um, tell me about your first, your first, uh, it was your first like business you owned, right? Yeah, uh, I thought I was. I thought I knew everything. Yeah, because I did. Because we always do. And I was. I had to have been eighteen, and uh, g- my mother, your grandmother, actually was encouraging me. You should do this. You can get it. And there was a. I uh, there was a little RV dealership on Sierra Highway in Canyon Country, right up against the fourteen. I mean. Mm-hmm. Right where the 14 and Sierra Highway are just side by side. Yeah, you've shown me. Where yeah, it is. right yeah. near Via Princess Highway, there was a little RV dealership there. I don't know what it is now, and they had a couple stalls in the back, and they had some room in the back. They had an office, and so we traded out. I said, "Well, I'll I'll tinker on your RVs for you that you're selling." They sold used ones, mm-hmm. and you let me run my own business out of here. And I called it RRV, three big R's. Reasonable repairs for vehicles. I had a little phone, and uh, uh, Grandma helped me print up flyers and, and things on her little Xerox machine. And uh, I did that for about six or eight months. My first dealing with the public, first dealing with uh, trying to fix cars professionally. And uh, it was tough. Well, and I fixed them professionally when I was a, a mechanic, but first time trying to do it on my own. And it was, mm-hmm. it was the, the car part wasn't too hard. But the people part was tough. I learned real fast that there are professional customers out there that know how to take advantage of you, Mm -hmm. especially when you're a kid. They know what to say. Uh, They can threaten you with uh, all sorts of shit legally that you're like, give my money back, you know. And that's and I want to tell you that I know mechanics have a terrible reputation. They're they're ranked right below lawyers on favorability. You know you take a bunch of lawyers and shoot them all, and who cares? Well, mm-hmm. you, the next boat that comes along is going to be full of mechanics, and you can <laughs> yeah. shoot them, and nobody cares. Well, that's uh, that's the way uh, I learned that they're the cus- that's when you learn that you change someone's oil, and they go, well, my headlight doesn't work. So what? I changed your oil. I drained out your oil and changed the filter. Yeah, well, you, my headlight doesn't work. You're going to fix it. You touched my car last. Well, I'm not going to fix your headlight. I don't Mm-hmm. Look, I don't know how cars work, young man. I'm not sure if the oil filters connected to the headlight. I'm just a consumer, um, but I'll sue you if you don't fix my headlight. Could they, could they sue you for that? No. I mean, well, they can. You can sue anybody for anything. Yeah. But if you have a judge who's reasonable, then no, they wouldn't win. But I'm telling you, I have been in court situations where a judge... I, I, went, to a, I went to court one time. Uh, this was years later. And... It was literally 12 cases in a row of automotive. Automotive case before the judge. Another another garage, another shop before the judge. And I watched that judge side with every single customer, never sided with one shop one time. And I'm a mechanic. I know what I, I'm listening to the conversations of the court things before me. I absolutely know that the judge is calling these wrong every time. I can tell. So it was my turn to go up before court, and the judge says, all right, so-and-so a shop, and so-and-so a person, and come before the court, is everybody here? And I said, yeah, I'm here, but, Your Honor, it doesn't look like a good day for the automotive industry from what I've seen. And what did he say? <laughs> well, 
he wasn't happy with me. I remember he took off his glasses and stared at me like, son, you're going to lose this case. And I, I looked back like, I already know I'm losing it, so I might as well just say it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what I heard before my case, okay? Okay, tell me. This guy, this other shop, and I knew the guy. I knew the guy, yeah. the owner of the shop. He does a tune-up, plugs and wires on this lady's truck. She drives two or 300 miles away, does some stuff, comes home a few days later, two and three miles. She and had a problem. She came in and said that her spark plug wires he put on were no good. They were the wrong ones. Oh, no, the wrong spark plugs. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the mechanic, you know, the shop owner looks at us and no, these are right. Your engine's running fine. She goes, no, I had to have my boyfriend fix this at home and you're going to pay for it. We want all our money back. She goes into court and she tells the, she tells the judge, your honor, I know it may seem like he used the right parts, but as I was driving along, because he used the wrong spark plugs, my spark plug wires just started popping off. He used the wrong spark plugs, and they just popped out. That's like telling somebody you put in the wrong light bulb, yeah. and so over there, your light switch pops out of the wall. It is the wrong light bulb, and it forced my light switch to pop out of the wall. I went to turn on my light switch, and because he put the that, wrong bulb in, yeah. it popped out. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> How is it even possible that that's the level of logic that was going around that day? Man, that sucks. And then he did he did it to he did one to me too. Mine was this guy wanted his. He said I changed his oil and blew up his engine, and find find out he drove this old van from from where I was, a thousand miles away. He was gone a month, a thousand miles back. He broke down just outside of town. The tow truck driver, um, when he picked up the guy on the side of the road. Out of habit, he checked the transmission fluid. He checked the oil level. He checked mm-hmm. the water. He pulled the thing up on the thing and drove it in. Well, that tow truck driver was there and told the judge, this thing was full of oil. It was absolutely full of oil. The guy had said, I didn't put any oil in his engine. And he drove it almost 2,000 miles with no oil, and it blew up. I said, well, number one, that's not possible. The guy's not going to drive this van 2,000 miles with no oil in it. That's yeah. not possible. Number two, the tow truck driver, out of habit, pulled all the sticks and checked the fluids before he put it on the mm. truck. It did have oil in it. Yeah. This man, now it was this man's turn to speak. He walked up to the judge, and he had his hat in his hands. and go, Your Honor, I don't know much about how automotive stuff works. I'm just an old passer, passerby through this, through this fair city. He used the word fair city. I came through this fair city, and I feel that I was wronged. The judge looks back at me and I said, I don't give a shit what, how wrong he feels. Yeah. I, the thing was full of oil. Something else went wrong. It was an old van. All he, was, he went 2,000 miles. The tow truck driver said it was full of oil. Mm-hmm. Judge ruled against me. That's. I uh... said, I looked at the judge and go, I'm never paying this guy. I'm not doing it. Well, then we'll hold you in contempt of court. I said, I'm never paying him. I'm not going to do it. I'm never going to buy this guy an engine. Well, that's horrible. The, <laughs> that's like this really is how dumb. some, this is, and then when I was 18 and I started that business, I learned that there were customers that did this all the time. They're called professional customers. They look for something to nail you on. And I end up quitting over, over, over one of those customers. Mm-hmm. Closing up, said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm never going to have another business. This is all bullshit. It's way too hard. I just wanted to fix cars. Mm-hmm. But, man, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with it that I was not prepared for. Um, what was it? Uh, wait a minute. What was the most difficult repair you have ever done? 
Uh, there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of cars that were hard to work on, hard to, hard to get to the parts. You know, you disassemble so much of things just to get to one stupid bolt. Um, I don't, I don't even know that I could tell you. I know that one of the most difficult things when they came out that I didn't like was there was some Audis that came out with massively complicated timing gearing setups and BMW where there was variable timing things that move. This is in the beginning. I mean, now, now they have a big plate. You put the plate on, line up all the pins, lock yeah. everything down, pull the plate off. It's all set. But back then you had to set every, every timing gear, every chain, every link, every advance uh, had to be perfectly clocked or you'd ruin the engine when you started it. I didn't like those. I didn't. I thought that was way too complicated. I wasn't interested in that stuff. Those were very difficult repairs. Just be, you know, there's guys. There's guys right now that can do them in their sleep with their eyes closed, twice as fast as I ever could. Mm -hmm. And there's some hot shots right now that are 20 years old that'll work on the the things I'm describing, and they're like, ah, that's nothing. I could do those back, you know, and they mm -hmm. can. But I'm telling you, back then, when you start getting into that kind of stuff, and you can't, you know, you you tell people, I'm sorry, it's going to be, you know. 22 hours at $100 an hour mm -hmm. to change your, your seal in the front of your engine. They look at you like you're insane. Yeah. I'm not the one who bought this car, and I didn't break it. I'm just a guy trying to fix it. Yeah. Why are you mad at me? Mm -hmm. Those kind of things were tough. Um, All right. What's your next dumb question? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite car to work on and why? Uh, I like, I like simple engines. I like small block Chevys. I like small block Fords. Um, I like, I like pickup trucks. American made pickup trucks are really easy there. I know there's some, uh, Toyota pickup trucks are really easy too. And they got a, they're reliable, good power. But my preference is, uh, American full size pickups. If I had nothing else to work on, but those the rest of my life, easy. I like them a ton. Um, what is the weirdest, most strange car you've ever worked on? Um, what is the weirdest, most strange car you have ever worked on? Well, I've worked on a few Back to the Future DeLoreans. Hmm. Those are pile of shits. I mean, literally, Renault engines, you can't keep them running. They don't run right. They, God, they're horrible. Um, the weirdest car? Um, I, I worked on a night. 1945 Nazi Germany Unimog. So you wanna you wanna look that up, everybody in the okay. dancing and listening audience? <laughs> I um, did. I worked on a Unimog, and okay. I fixed it, and I got it on the road. Yeah. We're getting to the home stretch here. Final right. questions. Yeah. Or final parts of the final question. parts of the question. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you could have become anything besides a mechanic, what would you be? And Successful. Why? That's <laughs> <laughs> my first choice. If I could be anything other than a mechanic, I'd, I'd you, have done something you be to a podcaster? be. No, I would have loved to have been in radio when I was younger. Um, you know, I knew uh, Bruce Chandler from down in uh, KQQ in the in back in the radio days, and I started to make friends with some Hollywood people and some radio people, and then I screwed it all up, like I often did in life. But I think if I would have had my pick, if I could have learned a craft or a trade along those lines, something mm -hmm. to do in radio, I think yeah. uh, I would have gone that way. But that's an extremely, I got a better chance of doing anything. Radio is yeah. such a narrow field, and there's such talent out there. I don't I don't think, I I think maybe that would have been my one shot, my one wish would have been that, yeah. 
Okay. I couldn't um, have been in the movies because I was told over and over again I have a face for radio. <laughs> so yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, an old joke. All right. Um last question. Okay. Do you think it is more difficult to be a mechanic nowadays or is it easier? Oh, it's way harder. It's almost impossible now. You you almost can't work at an independent shop because the the tools and the training and the way the factories keep the secrets from you from Ford, Chevrolet, Toyota, Mercedes, they don't want they want you going to the dealership. It's mm-hmm. all eventually in your lifetime you will see the end of independent shops there will be very few left yeah. you will not be able to compete you will not be able to keep up with the technology you know you're going to end up everyone's going to end up bringing their car to the dealership because that's the only place you can get the training and the special tools it's mm-hmm. it's 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 way harder now anybody who's entering mechanics right now um they ha- they're going to have a much harder time yeah than i do ever do. had yeah, yeah. It's much more difficult. Just because they keep improving and they, you know, you'd have, well, like they, you said with the tools, like you've mentioned this before, where you have to buy a whole new set of tools for each car correct. or brand that comes out, yeah. And they're doing that on purpose. And just one example, Ford, let's say Ford has four different style pickups and eight different kind of cars. Mm-hmm. It used to be pretty much a power steering pump was a power steering pump. This is a Ford power steering pump. I know they changed a little bit with different cars, but can you imagine having a different tool for each power steering pump on each of the 11 cars? What about a different tool for the brake system? What about a different tool for the air conditioning? And it goes on and on. So now you end up having to buy $60,000 of specialized tools. Snap-on can't build those kits to accommodate Mm -hmm. a one-kit-fits-all. It's just they're, they're... Ford is making specialty tools that only they have on purpose. Yeah. But even if you could buy them, you could buy, okay, all right, Ford, this year I'm buying all your tools, $60,000. Now I can work on anything Ford produces this mm-hmm. year. Well, what about GM? You know, Chevy, yeah. you're going to buy $60,000 of tools there? Chrysler, Toyota, it's, Honda? It to add up. You can have, have $4 million in tools every single year mm-hmm. because Ford will change them the next year. And they'll change them the year after that. So you can't keep up. There's no way. You could rent the tools maybe, mm-hmm. but you couldn't keep up. But you couldn't like actually own them. No. So there's yeah. the independent shops are going to say, okay, the, I, if I had to predict, independent shops will say, okay, all right, I'm just working on Chevys. Mm-hmm. Or we are just a Honda shop. We are just a Toyota shop. We can afford to do that. And even then, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, but, those, uh, those easy days are gone. Mm-hmm. But thank you for letting me interview you on this podcast. Actually, let me uh, get the audience to clap real fast. Oh, my God. Thank you. What the thank hell? You. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, yeah, okay, you can oh stop now. God. Okay, stop. All right. Thank you. <laughs> that was the dumbest um, thing I've ever heard you do. Oh, they got so much more stuff on here. Like, Yeah, well. Three other buttons. The three other buttons. We <laughs> haven't even used them yet. Uh, but, yeah, thank you for letting me interview you on a ton of car stuff. It's no problem. Yeah, I know. It's nice that you took a back seat in the front seat. I like being in the back seat in the front seat all at the same time. It feels like I'm ready. Being a the center of attention without having much work. Yes, I like that. Yeah. Not no responsibilities. Yep. Hey, guess what else? What? You're gonna edit all this. I'm not editing it. What? <laughs> yep. You're gonna go through the process and make it sound. Hey, your job is to make me sound wonderful. You're welcome, America. Okay, anyway, music should be coming in. Actually, no, if I'm editing this, there's no music coming on. We're just, no music. Uh, it's just a yeah, dry uh, cut podcast. We should, 
Should be closing it out soon, so I'll say goodbye, and Gen X Dad will do his outro. So goodbye, guys. Oh, I, I still have to do well, the... yeah, because you always do the... Do thing. Yeah, okay. okay. Bye. Well, since there's no exiting music and no intro music, then I can't say that the bumper music was brought to you by our friends at Highway Down. Now, can I? But I can tell you this, that this was the kid's first interview. This will be his first venture into editing. And um, if he wants any more stories, he's going to have to come back and pay me double. And double of nothing is still nothing. So that's it. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for wasting a half an hour or more of your time. And as usual, from Gen X Talks, this is Gen X Dad. We will catch you on the flip side. <laughs>